don't just see, feel. Now, we have a quote for you, and it's by George Bernard Shaw. And he says, progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. I that's, that's a really good quote, Maureen. You know, yeah. um, and it's definitely pertinent to our podcast today. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we do want to say hello and welcome, listeners. Um, today, we're having a bit of a catch up on the news. And this episode is also a thank you for your continued support. And we just really want to thank you for taking time to listen to our podcast and to give us your feedback. And, you know, we really, really do appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Thank you, listeners, for taking time out. But we're up to 100, no, sorry, 850 plays, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and listeners are all around the world. We've got people in Netherlands, Germany, America, Australia, Syria, Finland, Malaysia, Portugal, China, Middle East, UAE, Italy, Sweden, and there's more. So that's great that we're spreading it around the world. Yeah. Also, yeah, it's good, Maureen. Uh, we also want to say thank you to the gents. You make up 40% of our listeners. So thank you, mm -hmm. gentlemen, for listening in. And ladies, of course, yourselves, of course, making up 60%. Thank you. Thank you for making it relevant. Mm, yeah, and it's nice that we do have their support. And we thought we would share some news updates uh, that caught our eye and we thought were thought-provoking and funnily enough had us discussing didn't it julia yeah yeah always up for a chat morning in the discussion yeah. well let's get started now travel is back but please listen stay safe get the vaccination if you can if you haven't already had it i mean the side effects do um are far less severe than catching covid and being hospitalised. So we understand that having the vaccination is a personal choice, but it's also about protecting each other. It is not political at all. Mm, yeah, I just, you know, they've made it political and it's not. It's just about saving lives at this point, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that um, one of the things that also had us talking, Julie, was the Olympics, because oh, we yes. did enjoy the Olympics and it had us riveted. And GB team came home with a good haul, got to say. And do you know what? It was somewhat overshadowed when I heard about a British sprinter who'd been provisionally suspended for an anti-doping rule violation after testing positive for two banned substances. Now, this was after winning a silver medal in the men's four times 100 metre relay at the Tokyo Olympic Games. And this news actually means that Team GB main men's relay team all face being stripped of their medals. And if that does happen, Canada will be upgraded to silver and China receives the bronze. You know, and all this is unless he can really explain how the substances got into his body. Mm. And I do remember talking to you about it, Julia, and saying, Do you know what? I was praying he was not black. Because um, as we know, the abuse will be rife if he's, if he's found guilty. And yes, I did find out he is black. But I also thought how terrible that that would be one of my thoughts. Yeah, I remember us having the talk. And it is sad that you automatically 
went that way, you know, knowing what the reaction of the public was, especially like after the football. Yeah. How people react. Yeah. Mm, oh, fingers crossed. But Maureen, we did love the fact that the Japanese tennis player Naomi Osaka was selected in the final torchbearer and lit the Olympic cauldron during the opening ceremony of the 2021 Olympics. Osaka, you know, she's a four-time Grand Slam champion. Uh, she's one of the marquee athlete, athletes in this year's Olympics. Uh, amazing person. And 23 years of age, a tennis star. She had taken some time away from the tennis court since withdrawing from the French Open in June. And that was to focus on her mental health. So take my hat off to her. Yeah, we sort of forget how difficult it is for these athletes to be at the top of their game all the time. And what also caught our attention was Simone Biles during this um, during the Olympics, who pulled out of the competition in Tokyo to also focus on her mental health. Now, that was a really powerful move. And it did spark a global conversation about the topic. And this four-time Olympic champion was applauded for her courage to embrace her vulnerability. And as Simone said, it is okay not to be okay. And I totally get that. Yeah, totally mm. get that. And the American gymnast then went on to compete for the first time since the team event final in artistic gymnastics. And she captured a bronze medal in the balance beam her seventh career Olympic medal and got to say bravo Simone that she came back from dealing with how she was feeling and thought okay I'm gonna do this yeah 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 it, it did go global it was all over the world about mm. it but the support she had was just phenomenal I thought you know absolutely oh, well, yeah team GB eh, on the medal so far yeah, definitely. We just had a little chat about it this morning, didn't we, Julia? So, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. Paralympics. Come on, GB. We'll be rooting for you. Uh, another area was, of course, climate change. You know, wildfires, floods have wrecked havoc across many countries this summer. And we've been watching it on the news. It's daily there. And we know we have to do more. Uh, Maureen and I, we, we discussed why do we not feel that we have an individual responsibility to do more? I mean, why don't we feel the urgency when we can see our planet is on fire and drowning? And there's news items, Maureen, I saw, I was a bit frightened that in 20 years' time, we might not even exist. You know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is a latest report by UNICEF, and it's found that around 1 billion of the world's 2.2 billion children living countries classified as being at extremely high risk of impacts of the climate crisis. That's mm. frightening. Yeah, it is frightening. And we've left them a pretty bad legacy, haven't we? Mm. When more than half the children in the world will have to deal with this climate crisis. Yeah. That's a really bad legacy to leave our children. It is, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's see if we can feel it and do more. Yeah, and... Then we had oh, the news regarding Afghanistan now. Listeners, you can't get away from it on the news. It's on all the time what's going on out there. And it's takeover from the Taliban. In 10 days, they managed to secure the whole country. And this had us reeling in disbelief, you know. And 
Do you know what? Biden has to own this moment and the consequences. And he does. He makes no apology for getting them out of there. But do you know what? The Taliban's lightning advance across Afghanistan has stirred fears. They will reimpose their fundamentalist interpretation and Islam and all but eliminate women's rights. And women are frightened about this. You know, they're going to be returning to a t from a 20-year exile from power. And the Taliban, our hardliners, are expected to impose harsh restrictions on the life of the Afghans. And the international community is dismayed by it. We watch and look in horror and we just thinking what's going to happen next. Now, the Taliban, and in English that means students. I don't know what sort of students they are, but that's what it means in English. They're an extremist Islamic militants who want to impose the strict interpretation of religious law on Afghanistan. Now, the group has its origins in the US-backed Mujahideen, sorry, um, a fundamentalist Islamic guerrilla fighters who they've also had to fight, um, who fought the Soviet forces in Afghanistan in 1970s and 1980s. So this has been going on for a long time and they weren't in power for 20 years and now they're back with even more of their fundamentalist ideas. Which is Ugh. really frightening. And the it, fact, I mean... That interpretation of the Taliban meaning students, you wonder, mm. you know, oh God. I mean, here's some background listeners to the latest developments. And why a return to their brutal rule has so many people fearing for the future of Afghanistan, as you will have seen on the news, you know. But Zamina Kakar, a woman's rights activist, was crying during an interview with the Associated Press in Kabul in Afghanistan um, on Friday. Uh, August the 13th this year. Now, Kaka was a year old when the Taliban entered Kabul the first time in 1996 and recalled a time when her mother took her out to buy an ice cream back when the Taliban were in uh, ruling. Now, her mother was whipped by a Taliban fighter for revealing her face for a couple of minutes. Now, today again, she says, I feel that when the Taliban come to full power, we will return back to the same dark days as before. Frightening. Yeah, and you can see it coming. You know, these women journalists are already going into hiding. Women in politics are in hiding. They're trying to get out. It's just crazy. And I also heard the most ridiculous story this week as well, where there was an Afghani woman and she'd been set on fire by the Taliban after they complained about the meal she cooked for them. <sighs> They set her on fire, you know, and on top of this now, um, we also have a threat alert of ISIS being at the Kabul airport, making the situation even more difficult for these people. And mm. yes, the Taliban did let all these people out of jail as soon as they started taking over the country. So where do you think they were going to go? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And um, it was all, wasn't it, across the news this morning, we were yeah. talking about it, you know. Urging people not to go to the airport. Yeah, yeah, because of the ISIS threat. And mm. it's, you know, it's not going to get better, that's for sure. No. And, you know, uh, listeners, we we do get these stories coming in, and we have, you know, a few shocking and moving stories that also caught her eye. 
And you may remember back in one of our Easter specials where we talked about Ethiopia, Tigray region, and we have a bit of an update. And it's been nine months now since this started, and it, and it may well intensify some more after leaders in several of Ethiopia's regions, as well as its capital, Addis Ababa, called on residents, including youth, to mobilise against the Tigray fighters. Now, they're getting youth involved to fight Tigray fighters, soldiers. You know, this is not going to end well. The conflict has forced more than two million to flee their homes, and it's left millions dependent on food aid, which is deepening the crisis. And Ethiopia's government has repeatedly cut basic services to the region, including electricity and communications. And this together with the killing that's still going on, the pillaging, rape, you know, that's been committed by all parties has created a real humanitarian crisis. Now, although the Ethiopian government declared an immediate ceasefire after Tigrayan troops retook the regional capital in June, and nothing, absolutely nothing has changed for those civilians in Tigray. Nothing. Frightening. And frightening the length of time, like you mentioned, nine months. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's awful. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then another frightening bit of news we heard was that in, in Ankara, the capital of Turkey, they officially withdrew from an international treaty to prevent violence against women. Horrendous. <laughs> Enacting a decision that drew condemnation from many Turks and Western allies when President Erdogan announced it in March. Now, thousands were set to protest across Turkey, where a court appeal to halt the withdrawal was abs was rejected. Um, um, Kanagule, president of the Federation of Turkish Women's Associations, she said, we're going to continue our struggle. We determined that Turkey is shooting itself in the foot with this decision. Too true they are. Mm. Um, and she said that since March, women and other vulnerable groups have been more reluctant to ask for help and less likely to receive it. And with COVID-19 fueling economic difficulties, causing a dramatic increase as well in violence against them. Mm. Now, the Istanbul uh, Convention which negotiated in Turkey's biggest city and signed in 2011, committed its signatories to prevent and prosecute domestic violence and promote equality. But Ankara's withdrawal triggered condemnation from both the United States and the European Union, and critics say it puts Turkey even further out of the step with the bloc that it applied to join back in 1987, which is yeah. understandable. Yeah, you know, why in 2021 would a country take away laws against domestic violence? Mm. Yeah. It, it just beggars belief, you know, yes. it's not tracking well for women generally, is it? Yeah. Not and yeah, and we go on and we read this story and it's about virginity testing on women and girls. Yeah, that's right, virginity testing. Now, women and girls are asking for help in numbers never seen before, having had virginity tests or hymenoplasty. 
one woman shares her story of being estranged from her family since being subjected to such procedures. Now, the number of young women worried about being forced to undergo a virginity test and contacting charities for help is reaching numbers never seen before. It's, uh, it's incredulous to me. Yeah. And one young woman who was taken to Harley Street Clinic by her father to undergo a virginity test has told Sky News she begged the doctor not to perform the highly intrusive examination and says it has left her traumatised and she felt treated worse than an animal. Wow. I, I can believe it. Awful. Awful. Like I, I was in horror when we read about it. Mm. I mean, virginity testing and, and an examination, basically, to see if a woman's hymen is intact. And hemoplasty, the the surgical procedure to repair the hymen, they're, they're not illegal. But campaigners want both procedures banned. Too true. Mm. Saying they're forms of gender-based violence. Absolutely. They are. You know, now, there was a girl, Zara, that's not her real name, but she is a 20-something British-born woman from London's Bangladeshi community. Now, ahead of her forced marriage, the groom's family demanded proof that Zara was still a virgin. Yeah, but, you know, do they demand virginity tests on men to demand that they're still virgins? You know, it's mm. just unbelievable the yeah. nonsense they can get away with, you know. And here's what Zara actually reported. She said, he came into my room, she's talking about her dad, and said to me, tomorrow I have to go to a doctor's clinic in central London to do some tests. My question to him was, what kind of test is it? Her father said he could not tell her, but left it to her mother to explain to Zara that she would have to see a doctor in central London who would examine her to see if she was still a virgin. Now, Zara's family knew she had been in a relationship and they told her it was important for them to protect their honour. Jeez. Uh, you know, at the clinic, Zara was asked to sign a consent form but she hoped the doctors would see that she was quite distressed and didn't want to go through with the examination. Unbelievable what women are being subjected to. Really, really sad. But Maureen, there has been some positive news. Um, I really enjoyed reading about young women in West Africa who are lifting car bonnets and challenging the notion that mechanics is a man's job. So they're challenging and saying, no, we can do this. Being a young woman in an African Muslim country usually means staying at home and raising children. But in the hot and dusty outskirts of the capital of Burkina Faso, girls and women from disadvantaged backgrounds are being trained to become something quite different, and that's car mechanics. It's Amazing. Here. I, I like this story, it did make me smile. Now, um, at the CFIMA, which is class for auto mechanics, students are laying the groundwork for their futures in professions ranging from mechanics to electronics, while daring to shake up the country's entrenched traditions. Now, working on cars has until now been considered exclusively only suitable for men in Burkina Faso. 
But this is also a country with high levels of youth unemployment, particularly among young women, and where a surge of extremist Islamic beliefs and terrorism has put the brakes on much significant positive change. Now, these classes are to help women to point with their greasy hands towards the chance of a career a shutter independence and security for them and their families. I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Lovely, lovely news, you know, good on them. Mm. Um, another positive, I mean, we talked briefly about climate change and what effect and what we've seen this over the summer, but we have talked about it in previous podcasts as well, that women are more likely to be impacted by the climate emergency than men. However, can control and seem to be come out of it stronger. Mm that women also maybe are best hope in solving it. They suggests right, a leading charity on International Women's Day, they're saying that women can come out of this and say empowering women and girls is among the best hopes for tackling the climate change. So let's hope. Yeah, let's hope so. And on International Women's Day, ActionAid, which works with some of the poorest women and girls in the world, highlighted its project in Cambodia that trains female leaders to help their communities deal with flooding and other issues caused by rising temperatures. The charity's Women's Champion initiative helps villages and farms protect themselves by setting up early warning system, building defences and planting protective mangrove barriers. Awesome really really good you know but uh, research does show that women and girls are dispor disproportionately impacted by climate change and figures from the UN show that 70% of the 1.3 billion people living in po poverty are women and that 80% of people displaced by climate change are women mm, that's a lot of women to be displaced by that isn't it Julian mm. yeah yeah now Women in developing countries tend to work in industries that are vulnerable to extreme weather, such as farming and fishing. They also have less access to education than their male counterparts, as well as worse access to basic human rights, such as being able to move freely or buy the land. Now, extreme weather is causing depleted fish stocks and crop failures pushing families who rely solely on fishing and farming for food and income and they've been pushed further into poverty which is sad to hear. It is isn't it and um, Varu Matt is a nursery school assistant in Cambodia and she's married to a fisherman and explained that most families in the community rely heavily on fishing for their livelihoods. If fishing is suspended, there's no income or job, she said. They have no choice but to force their children to drop out of school to work in the factory to earn some money. That's sad, isn't it? That is sad. But what the positive about Varumat is that she has been trained as a woman's champion and she is actually helping to create floating schools, spreading knowledge of sustainable farming practices and educating the next generation in new livelihoods that are less likely to be impacted by climate change, which is brilliant news. Mm. Now, since becoming champion, Varu Matt has been encouraging her fellow villagers to pursue other sources of food and income, such as growing their own vegetables and fruit trees, 
as well as raising chickens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's nice that, you know, when women are empowered to make decisions in an emergency response, you know, their whole community recovers faster. And she explains to them the benefits as it costs us nothing, you know, to raise chickens. We can use leftover rice as food, for example. And Farumat has also demanded that local authorities upgrade the village's roads and sewer system to withstand floods more effectively. And she says um, that because of the Women's Champion Network during local meetings now, women feel braver to speak up about their problems, their needs and what they want. And you've got to say that's great work really, isn't it? It's fabulous, really Mm. fabulous. And then Maureen, we heard about the Malala Fund Mm. and how that's working to ensure that every girl can learn and lead. Um, It's partnering with local organisations. And Malala, she says that our goal should not be to return to the way things were but instead a renewed commitment to the way the world should be, a place where every girl can learn and lead. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, Malala Yousafzai, she is a Pakistani activist for female education and the youngest Nobel Prize, uh, Prize laureate. She is known for human rights advocacy, especially the education of women and children in a native Swat Valley in Khyber, northwest of Pakistan, where the local Taliban in Pakistan had at times banned girls from attending school. The students abandoned, did you know? Mm. Now, her advocacy has grown into an international movement, and according to a former Pakistani Prime Minister, Shahid Khan Abbasi, she has become the country's most prominent citizen. Mm, yeah, she's doing some good work, Malala. And, um, you know, it comes up again, the Taliban not wanting girls to go to school or to learn. And the Manala Fund, over the next three years, will focus on the following objective, to address the immediate and long-term implications of the pandemic on girls' education. And their priorities are one, keep girls learning through school closures. Um, two, re-enroll girls to catch up on missed lessons. Three, support teachers with resources and training needed to deliver quality education. Four, strengthen education system against future crisis. And that's going to be really important. And last but not least, ensure girls' physical and psychological well-being in the classroom. You know, almost 90% of the world's countries shut their schools in an effort to slow down the transmission of COVID-19. And for most students, school closures are temporary. They have access to quality education and distant learning. Their education ambitions for the future will continue after the crisis. But Malala's fund research shows an estimated 20 million girls in low and lower middle income countries may never return to the classroom. Wow. That's, that's frightening, that figure, you know, it's, mm-hmm. and it's big in the news at the moment. Scotland's yeah. gone back and they're worried about what's going on in their cases rising. So it's really important that everybody gets that opportunity for education. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, right now, girls in the world's most vulnerable communities are simply not able to access quality education 
other distance learning opportunities like the rest of the world. And this COVID-19 pandemic will disproportionately affect these girls and the young women now and years to come. Uh, so in response, the Malala Fund is supporting organizations in Brazil, Ethiopia, India, Nigeria, and Pakistan to keep girls learning. Malala Fund is also supporting Lebanese alternative learning to develop training courses for educators on remote teaching in Lebanon. Now, as the governments and donor countries determine priorities and devise budgets to recover from the COVID-19 crisis, Malala's Fund's focus is on the protecting pro progress for girls' education and ensuring it is central to rebuilding efforts. And Malala states, we are calling on governments to keep girls learning and protected from harm. Protect and increase education spending, build education systems back to be gender equal. So needed now in these parts of the world, Maureen, in the middle of the war and the oppressive regimes that have got yeah, close. Absolutely. Um, yeah, good work, Malala. We'll keep following that, see how mm. that develops and how many more countries get involved. Um, we were also taken with this initiative, and it sort of goes back to one of our Invisible Women podcasts where we talked about open spaces and how they're not gender equal. And this one's called Make Space for Girls. And it's been set up to campaign for parks and public spaces to be designed for girls and young women, not just boys and young men. And they say, we are here to raise awareness of the issue as well as using research and campaigning to ensure that the voices of girls and young women are heard in the planning process. And their work is driven by the following values. You know, it's evidence-based, um, they collect research and data, and that guides all aspects of their work. They talk about engagement. They want the voices of girls and young women to be at the centre of what they do. And they talk about equality and inclusion and the needs of girls and young women from all backgrounds, urban and rural, and say that their, you know, their needs and what they want must be understood. Absolutely. Mm, yeah, good. Really positive. Mm. Really positive. And then we've got a really nice end, mm. um, the walk. Uh, we talked previously in our podcast about children and refugees and how it has an impact on women. And we were really taken with this initiative, The Walk. Uh, a young girl called Amal, and you might even be able to meet her listeners on her tour. Mm. At the heart of The Walk is Little Amal. Little Amal is a 3.5 metre tall puppet of a young refugee girl. And it's created by the acclaimed Handspring Puppet Company. Representing all displaced children, many separated from their families, little Amal is walking across Turkey, Greece, Italy, France, Switzerland, Germany, Belgium and the UK. And with a final event in Manchester in uh, November 2021, so in the UK, she's going to travel a remarkable 8,000 kilometres in total, celebrating the power of art and shared humanity wherever she goes. It's amazing. Mm. Just Google it, listeners. Um, at this time of unpresented global change, I got that wrong, 
walk is an artistic response, a cultural odyssey transcending borders, politics and language to tell a new story of shared humanity and to ensure the world doesn't forget the millions of displaced children, each with their own story. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice one to, and hopefully I'll be able to see, get to Manchester and see her in yeah. the UK, yeah, in November. Yeah, you can look it up actually, it's uh, walkwithamel.org, listeners, yeah. it's worth looking, it is, looking yeah. up. Well, that's the end of our podcast and our news. It is. Positivity morning. Yes, we have to. And we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And we do pray for all those who are disadvantaged due to gender, war, climate change. Please remember their plight when you think you're having a bad day. Okay? There's always people going through things we wouldn't even imagine. And don't forget to listen in next week and keep those messages coming. You can email us at through our discussions at gmail.com and that's all lowercase or voice message us using the anchor link. We are also on Siri and Alexa and we just want to say stay safe for all listeners. Yeah, yeah we've got um, another episode coming out of cast. There's just a few more episodes of cast left. So um, we look forward to sharing that with you in a couple of weeks' time. Stay safe, Maureen. You too, Julia. And enjoy your bank holiday, listeners. Yes, and you, Julia. All right, take care.